everybody, and welcome to Talking CX. We're your co-hosts. I'm Robin Miller. And this is Graham Clark. And we're going to talk today about, from a perspective of CX, understanding your customer. So I've read somewhere, can't remember exactly where, but somewhere I read that CX Success 101 is about giving customers what they want and need when they want and need it and how long they want and need it. It's kind of a, an expanded version of the customer is always right. And so you cannot go that way unless you deeply understand everything about your customer in every kind of a way, all of their variety and their diversity and, and what they consider to be their wonderfulness. And, and so in many ways they are, but, um, you know, we can't go anywhere without understanding that. So how do we start off doing that? How do we start off with that understanding? Well, I mean, so you're absolutely correct. And so the, the you know, we group together customers by defining, you know, to use a data term, right, attributes that make that group of customers unique. And then by recognizing customers, groups of customers that have those attributes, that allows us to give each customer a unique and personalized experience. And for people who are really into this and where it came from, you might want to look back to year I zero. To year I zero. That sounds like a Star Trek term of some kind. What it does. It does. We should we should patent it, I think, or trademark it or something. But it really really refers to year zero in the in the internet world and, and not the internet invention, but you know, as far as most normal folks are concerned in the United States, year zero of the internet is 1994 when the first America Online CD arrived in people's mailboxes. Oh, the, the, the year of AOL. The year of AOL, the year of the AOL CD, yeah, which most <laughs> okay. of us got several hundred of in the ensuing <laughs> three months. So that's a whole different ballgame. Um, but when we think about that, Right. So personally, around that time, actually 1995, I was introduced to a book called The One to One Future, which was written by the amazing Don Peppers and Martha Rogers. And it basically described how the future was going to be owned by companies who delivered truly personalized marketing experiences based on the attributes for each person one to one. So how many how many attributes are there? Yeah, it was not as many as you'd think. Right. I think their hypothesis was that if you define 16 attributes for a customer, you can basically identify every single individual person on earth if, of course, you you identify the right 16 attributes. That's what sounds like quite the the formula. And so, the, you know, I know that there are a lot of tools that have come into play to define CX and to define that customer. I've heard different terms Um thrown around. Uh, personas is the one I'm most familiar with, but I've also heard the word audience and segments. So I've heard all of these three terms and and kind of curious about what the difference is and why people don't agree on, on, a, on one of those terms. It's got a lot more to do with who uses the terms, right? In terms of whether it's data people or it's marketing people or it's CX people. Um, starting with with segments, so the, the data folks, right? So segments are a group of customers, or or more simplistically, customer data records with a given a given set of attributes, right? So a 
marry women between the ages of 35 and 55 who live in you know the northeastern states of the united states with an income between this and this right so a segment yeah but it really refers to the it comes from the database world of you know this is the group of 1.7 million data records that sit within that particular classification and then if you look at audience not tremendously different but audience is a marketing professional term and and you know the word right so they think about it not from the perspective of the group of data records but for the from the group of people they want to communicate with or market to in a particular way based upon their attributes but but you know an audience and a segment can effectively be one to one right so or an audience could have many segments within it or vice versa and then personas um are a cx term and it's really about personifying audiences and segments so you know if you think about a, a segment a segment might be as i said you know married women you know whatever those classifications are an audience might might define them in the same way but with personas we tend to pictorialize the customer group um and we also give them a name so like pet parent pamela for example Right. So um, personas, you know, usually have a visual depiction of the person and they will usually have a catchy name that that both incorporates, you know, the segment or the audience pet parent that we're talking about. But it also, you know, kind of truly personifies that by creating a picture of that particular segment or audience. Does it really make a difference? No. I mean, does it? It doesn't really seem to. Right. It's all linguistic. Yeah, yeah, but people get wedded to words, right? So I think we may have talked about this before, right? I would ask the same question as to why it is that Americans don't just call the metal that I use in cooking aluminium, like the people who invented it. Alumini al aluminium? You mean aluminum? No, the Danish, French, Swiss, and English people mm -hmm. who created it 150 years ago invented aluminium. Oh, well... <laughs> <laughs> because you know we want to call we we want to speak old english all the time to to honor our ancestors right so do you do you still use that word i use my point is exactly what you were referring earlier i use both words and don't really understand why everybody gets bent out of shape about it right okay. so that you can so you can probably sit in in a room full of uh, people discussing digital strategy and you might blow up the meeting just by using the wrong word. Mm, and, I, and I've done that. And usually my position is this is really great news because if this is the thing that we're left arguing about, everything else must be perfect. And so the point about this conversation about personas, audience and segments is that, you know, in order to define experiences, we have to understand our customers and as you said right at the beginning, you know, we have to understand them deeply, right? And and when we do, things can be good. And when we don't, things cannot be good. And if for those who listen to our strategy podcast, remember we discussed pets.com and how they kind of overestimated people's desire to buy dog food online in 1999 and ultimately ran out of money when the tech bust happened in 2001. So we have defining the customer. And I'm guessing that the next thing we're doing is defining the customer journey uh, using things like journey maps. Yeah. You know, the journey map is, is basically a, a process flow that shows how customers want and need to interact with your business to do whatever it is they're trying to do, including kind of the interaction channels that they use to interact with you. 
Yeah, well, well, process flows are, when I think of process flows, I generally think of a process that's defined by the business for the business, what's going on inside their organization. Absolutely. And, and that's, you know, really the fundamental difference, right, between a journey map and a, and a process flow. So typically a process is, as you said, defined by the business. So it's an inside out business view of the things the business does that interact with the customer. But a journey map is an outside-in view of the things the customer does from the customer's perspective, including things they do during, before, and after they interact with you, whether it touches you or not. Right. So a process flow would would not really consider, you know, things that the business doesn't do, but may well influence significantly the customer's experience with that business. But to put it in layman's terms, uh, it's similar to a process flow, but it's it's from the customer perspective, not the business. And 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 you know the best the best journey maps will also you know for every interaction that the customer has with the business, they'll also define you know how that experience is perceived by the customer in terms of what are generally referred to as the three E's of experience and that's you know effectiveness ease and emotional resonance so you know effectiveness did the did the customer achieve what they were trying to achieve ease was it easy and did they like it and then they'll also um, show for each of those interactions which part of the business operating model are involved in delivering it right? and, and we by the way we use the term for customer experience operating model or CXOM to describe, you know, business operating models that are, that are being thought about from the perspective of CX. So what you mean by the business operating model is things like people, processes, technology, in other words, a, a more of an enterprise architecture view of the whole organization. So a good journey map is going to be similar uh, in in kind of mapping out the architecture of the enterprise, but it's completely related to around the customer and not just the businesses, people, processes, and technology. Yeah, the only I agree. Yeah, I agree. The, the only the only difference is that that, that a business operating model or CXOM would also include kind of the products and services. Mm-hmm. That the business delivers um, and enterprise architecture could, but in my experience, doesn't typically. And then also the partner ecosystems who you know help an organization deliver whatever it is they're trying to deliver to their customers. But you can't have just one journey map in your business for all your customers, right? Because if your business has multiple personas, then you're going to need a journey map for each of those personas. Is that generally what you recommend doing? Yeah, I mean, it is, although uh, a lot of complex enterprises will design design or define something they'll refer to as a master journey, um, you know, for a given product or service. So they'll say, you know, customers find us, they, you know, sign up, they onboard, they use and they leave, right? And they'll take a really high level view, but those are not very useful in terms of experience design. So Typically, you would have, you know, a journey for each of your customers. And, and I'll give you a really simplistic example that um, I was involved in a lot, a lot 
long before I have I ever got really involved in something called CX. Um, but we were doing the same things, and that was with you know Coca Cola, and um, you know Coca Cola is a product, right? So let's you know focus on the thing in the little red can. Um, and they were marketing um, to uh, customers who were going to be using their product in USA sports venues and also sports venues in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and in this USA sports venues, there was a lot of marketing around using Coca-Cola as a mixer for alcoholic drinks. And obviously that doesn't work very well in Saudi Arabia, right? So just understanding, you know, those two different cultures, those two different groups of people, you know, pretty much kind of makes it relatively obvious that you would have to have, you know, different marketing and even potentially different journeys associated with those markets for the same product. Well, so when it comes to journey maps, what are... What do you define as the main goals of a journey map? So we want to tie, we want to map the customer's journey and we want to tie it to the, to the organization's business model, to their architecture, to their products, services. We want to, we want to paint a complete picture of everything that the customer does. But what is the point of that? What kind of information are we most interested in getting? I mean, we're, we're, we're looking for the, the flow of interactions, right? So what tends to come first, what tends to come second? You mentioned, you know, are those interactions, which channels, are they with the web, are they with call centers or whatever? But then really, you know, the two big focus areas are pain points and moments of truth. Uh, moments of truth is a new term to me. What, did, what does that signify? Right, so it's an interaction which is the most critical to the entire customer experience. And you, you typically only have a few you know, in a given journey. Give me an example of a moment of truth then. Okay, so let's let's think of the insurance industry, right? So in the insurance industry, it's generally accepted that there are there are two massive moments of truth. And one of those is the decision to buy a given insurance product, and the other is the claims process. And everything else is basically about not screwing it up, although I'll probably get in trouble for that from insurance people I know. Um, but, you know, if you think about the insurance business model, right, both the insurance company really hopes after you've signed up for the products that you go for decades without claiming. And actually, so does the customer, right? I mean, if you get to claim insurance because your house burned down or because a relative died, you don't want to claim. So um, when, when you know, a person signs up for an insurance policy, they'll pay for years and then they'll claim. But, but when a claim happens, it's usually a moment of trauma, right? I mean, your house is burned down or... You've been involved in a serious car accident. And so, um, you know, the other point is that most customers, and we've done a lot of research on this, they believe that insurance companies spend millions of dollars and pounds and yen and euros and have thousands of people whose one job in life is to prevent paying claims. So, you know, they tend to come at the insurance claims process with a lot of um, emotional baggage and there's all kinds of other things going on in their life. And so, you know, the one thing that's likely to make your insurance business fail is when people are on social media, you know, telling everybody else that your claims process really sucks. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, because it, it to me, it sounds like the moment of truth that you're describing here is really interactions that the customer has had or information that the customer has gathered about that organization. And that leads them to a decision point at which they decide to um, interact with the organization initially, and then other decision points or moments of truth that lead them to continue interacting. 
Yeah, there are just these big things, right? Not just in a particular customer's case, but uniformly across large groups of customers are just absolutely fundamental and foundational to how they see their relationship with you for the long term. How do you do that discovery process? Is that the do organizations count on their employees primarily to get that information for them? It's really the the the, the what we sometimes jokingly call the science of voices, right? CX people hear voices. Um, so they start by asking their employees what they think their customers want, need, and do. And that's usually referred to as voice of the business or VOB and can sometimes be called voice of the employee um, or VOE. And, and it gives a, you know, it gives a good grounded starting understanding of what your customers, you know, want, need, and do and who they are. Of course, it's, you know, it's just your employee's opinion of what those customers want. And by the way, it's always wrong. The question is how wrong. The, the, the second thing in this world of voices is, you know, voice of the customer. So, you know, simplistic, right? If you want to know what your customers think about asking them, um, and it could be through email or text surveys or online focus groups or in-person focus groups, either associated with a particular you know, interaction, like please rate our service in a short survey following this call or in a periodic relationship survey, like would you refer us to your friends on a scale of one to 10, which is the famous net promoter score. Um, so, you know, ask your business, ask your employees, ask your customers. And, you know, what you hear from your customers will always differ from your voice of business. Again, the question is, how big is the difference? Um the information from what your customers say. And, and then one of the other problems is that customers lie. Um, that that no. may mean about that, but you know, sometimes they lie because they don't, well, sometimes they lie because they don't think about the question deeply enough. Um, and a lot of people lie because they like to be nice. Well, well I, I don't consider it to be lying. I mean, you know, when I take these surveys and, and um, I, I'm, more or less thinking about, well, this is a customer service rep and they have these scores, you know, they probably have this scoring system that they have to, to meet and they have to get so many points and all of this kind of thing. And, and I don't know how these companies rate their customer service representatives or what they put them through, but it's always in the back of my mind that if I don't say nice things about their customer service rep, that's going to get them in trouble. So and I, you know, I don't like to do that unless they were really, really rude or arrogant. It, but otherwise, I, I kind of just kind of, you know, either don't take the survey at all, or, or I'm not going to really tell tell the survey what I really think. Yeah, and 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 me too. I mean, in general, not always, but um, but if you think about, I mean, I'll put it very simplistically because I've been through this experience. So you're. You're doing a, a customer relationship voice of a customer survey. You're looking at the business results, and they're basically telling you that, you know, two percent or something of your customers are piling out and leaving the company every quarter, and they're in serious danger of disappearing into bankruptcy. And you do these surveys, and everybody says everything's great. You know, it's it can be very damaging. Yeah, but I mean, it's not my res- it's not my responsibility as the customer to um, y- you know 
to provide information that I think is going to harm people. Now, uh, because a lot of these surveys, you know, they don't really ask the right questions. The questions are really all about the customer service itself and not about their products or not about other extenuating circumstances that made me call in the first place. And so some of these surveys really aren't designed very well, in my opinion. Ah, and there you have the secret, right? So the way, so I'm using the word lie to be bold, right? But the reality is that the way you, um, and, and by the way, so the way that you, you obtain truth is by how, how you ask the questions and what questions you ask. And so, so, you know, the answer to, um, you know, whether, whether, as you said, you know, people don't want to say nasty things about customer service reps or store associates, um, and as you quite rightly said, you know, well, maybe the surveys aren't designed correctly. So if you design the surveys correctly and you inform the customers that you're the purpose for which you're doing it, um, you know, most most people will tell you the truth, right? Most people most people actually want businesses to do better. They don't actually want to run around whining and moaning about businesses. They want to have better experiences. And so if you ask them to help you, miraculously, most of them will. Yeah. That that makes total sense. I would I would love to see that for more businesses. Like a get to have to have the feeling that there's a actual sincere desire to have information that they plan to act on. What you're talking about is just doing VOC correctly, right? The the third arm, which is which is really powerful, and we're seeing a lot of uh, impetus behind, is voice of analytics, right? So if you think of voice of business being what do your employees think your customers want, need, and do? Voice of customers is what your customers tell you they want, need, and do. Well, in a world that's increasingly, you know, digital first, um, you can gather analytics about what they actually do, right? So if you instrument your websites and your mobile apps and your social media and people's environments with their nest temperature control devices and their cars with computers, um, you can actually follow people around in terms of their experiences and know that, you know, that these are the things they do. And, and um, when we talked about voice of the customer sample rates, right? So the difference is with voice of analytics, you can get 100% of those customers that engage with you digitally and 100% of the digital interactions that they engage you with, which is, you know, often the difference between, you know, a voice of customer survey sample of a thousand customers, and you may get five million customers in your voice of analytics. I, I imagine that the the types of analysis that you can get from all of this information is is quite vast. So, what are the primary things that they're looking for? So, there's customer journey analytics tools now that will take the data and they'll automatically draw your journey map for you. You're looking for we said the three E's, right? Ease, effectiveness, and and empathy. You know, so what's the sentiment of the customer at each stage of that particular journey? So based on not just what are they doing, but how do they feel about it? And that, that how they feel could come from um, doing semantic analysis of emails and chat streams to say, oh, I can tell this customer is really irate about this particular transaction. And then you know that they, you know, shut down the transaction on the web at this particular point in the journey and they never came back. Right. So. Um, you know, you're often getting the same kind of information that you would get in voice of the customer and voice of the business. However, 
before we say, well, then why are we doing voice of the business and voice of the customer? And why don't we just do voice of analytics? There's some things you don't get. So you don't have any visibility on what the customer does before they touch you, right? Because you don't instrument the rest of their life, despite the people who think they're all watching us from space. Um, so, you know, you don't get that view and you don't get a true understanding of, you know, how the customer feels given that, you know, a customer experience is always defined as what's between the ears of the customer, right? So um, it's how does the customer feel? So you get some idea, you get a much higher statistical rate of information out of voice of analytics, but there's still stuff that's missing. And that's why, you know, the best organizations will do voice of business and voice of customer and voice of analytics, and they'll mash those together in order to get those three perspectives, which gives them a, a really high quality understanding of who their customer is. Well, you know, we've covered a lot of different elements of customer understanding, and it seems like kind of an overwhelming amount to do. I mean, if you're, so you have the customer definition and the, the customer journey, the journey map, need to understand the voice of your business from your employee's standpoint around your customer. You need to understand the voice of the customer itself, what they're telling you. And you need also, it sounds like you need uh, the voice of analytics on top of all of that. And that's just really at a high level view of all of the different facets going into understanding your customers. So a lot of businesses especially smaller to mid-sized businesses, I think would feel quite overwhelmed by this list. And it seems like a lot to do, right? So where do you start if you're really, if your organization is really only capable of starting in one place, where should they start? Uh, that's a no brainer, right? Put in a voice of customer system, something that um, on an ongoing basis asks customers you know, what they think and need and, and you know, voice of customer system, meaning you've got to also put in the processes to allow you to act on what they tell you. So these surveys really get maybe 5% of your customers on a good day. And not only that, that a lot of customers lie for various reasons, um, or I won't use the word lie. That seems kind of harsh, but they, they, they'll fudge you know, they'll fudge the what they're saying for whatever reason, you're not going to get an accurate picture. So why would the voice of the customer then be the most important thing? Because it's such a powerful motivator for senior executives to hear effectively directly from the customer what they want or don't want for them are often, you know, called verbatims. We, we have a a client that we've worked with that has about 10,000 customers and they um, they survey about 250 of those customers every quarter. Actually, they get a, a much more powerful um, set of results from that, right? Because you go to the executives and say, this is 250 out of 10,000 or whatever customers. That's a massive, you tell somebody it's 100,000 out of 50 million customers and they're like, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just a lower cost activity to put a VOC system in place for those, you know, for a much smaller group of customers, but you still got to get the same thing. And um, what order would you say then the rest of them go in? So voice a customer first, and from there, the next step would be what? Voice of analytics. I think today with the um, 
the sophisticated customer analytics tools that are available at relatively low cost um, and the understanding that you will get um, you know, input from your customers via emails and chats and social media, and that's all you know, textual, and you really want to kind of mine the sentiment um, out of that, but also the ability to be able to get your uh, digital analytics instrumentation, right? You might have Google Analytics in place or Adobe Analytics, right? So the third one would be around, you know, developing kind of journey maps, right? Which help you accelerate, you know, actual business improvement. Um, you know, some people would argue developing journey maps should be number one, but I, I think if you can get some, you know, VOC verbatims that might help you, your executives be compelled to spend the money to look at analytics and journey maps. And then if you've, you know, you've got those basics in place, then, you know, we start to get there. I think, you know, the, the next one is, is to start looking at some of these, um, you know, pretty sophisticated technologies around, I mentioned like customer journey analytics, um, a new world of journey orchestration, which is about how do you kind of wrap your existing technologies and business processes up in technology that helps you orchestrate better experiences and continuously monitor and improve the experiences and the journeys that you have. And, and then, you know, from there, obviously we're pretty wildly excited about the impact of artificial intelligence and machine learning and chatbots and all the other things that are, that are kind of coming your way in the world of customer experience world. Something for everyone at every level of their ability or willingness to uh, define and understand their customer. Right. And if you've done all those things, then you should, if you've done all those things, then you should come to a Talking CX podcast. <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. They they should come up over here and, and tell us what, what they did and how they did it. I agree. For everybody out there who's listening, what about, what are some of the things that you have found to be the most helpful in understanding your customer? Have you used any of these methods and have you found them to be useful, not useful? Or have you found a whole different way of looking at this that you've found to be effective that we haven't discussed here? So we'd love to hear from you. Our email is info at talkingcx.com. Our 800 number is 833-482-5529. Or you can tweet us at Twitter. <laughs> you can tweet us at TalkingCX on Twitter. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And we're looking forward to uh, talking to you again next time. And in the meantime, remember, do CX right. Do it right now. And do it right now. Thank you. See you next time. <laughs>